Well, next week I'm going to begin a new series, an eight-week series. I'm entitling it, not the best title I've ever come up with, but God's Greatest Commandments. It will be going through some of the, the most famous and well-known uh, passages of Scripture, in particular that have to do with God giving us guidance. We'll start with the Ten Commandments, and then the Shema Israel, and then the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, the Greatest Commandment, the New Commandment, the Great Commission, and we'll end with the institution of the Lord's Supper. But this morning, we have more of a, uh, a New Year's theme in the book of Haggai. And um, I always like on, around New Year's to, to uh, preach on something that sort of lets us think through the year that's ahead of us. Haggai is a little-known prophet. It sounds like something that your ophthalmologist might tell you, you know, as he uh, diagnoses you. You have Haggai. But um, no, he's uh, one of the three prophets of the Old Testament that uh, God sent to prophesy during the time of the restoration, after the exile. You know, God's people under the uh, force of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar were taken into exile in Babylon. Seventy years later, around that they were returned um, because Persia had taken over Babylon and King Cyrus had sent many of the Jews back to Judah to rebuild the temple that still was in ruins as a result of the destructive power of the Babylonians. During these years, this period of time uh, of restoration and rebuilding, God sent Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, the last three prophets of the Old Testament, the last three books of the Old Testament in the order that we usually find them. And by the way, uh, traditionally, Christian people, the Christian church has not believed that the order of the books in the Bible is inspired, only the books themselves. Um, and there are different orders. The Jews uh, in the Old Testament had, a, had their Bible in a different order, even uh, in different in ways as well. But the, the books themselves, we believe, are inspired and, and uh, are the Word of God. And so today we're going to be reading the first chapter and a half of Haggai, but I'm not going to read it all at once. And uh, those of you in the sound booth, I forgot to tell you this, but... Um, there, I sent the passage in three sections, and, I want, and I'm going to read it in three different sections and then talk about it. So it's sort of like um, going to be three little mini-sermons all on the same longer passage, but uh, they're all consecutive to each other. But I'm going to start with Haggai 1, is 1 to 11. This is the word of God. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, 
Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld their dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. You see, when the Jews first returned from Babylon to the promised land, they were filled with joy and optimism, full of zeal to rebuild the temple of the Lord. But after a while, their zeal began to wane as difficulties, political difficulties and practical realities obstructed and eventually halted the work. The people came to the conclusion, as is quoted in verse 2, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. This is the complaint of the Lord, that they've come to this conclusion. This isn't a good thing. They're supposed to rebuild this house and they've stopped doing it because it's too difficult. Instead of devoting themselves to building God's house, they focused on their own houses. Verse 4, you dwell in your paneled houses. You know, you've got to have it fancy and all just together and right. Meanwhile, my house is in ruins. Verse 9, each of you busies himself with his own house while no one is working on my house, the Lord says. But because of their misplaced priorities, God did not support or prosper their efforts to improve their own welfare. He actually thwarted their efforts. You have much, but you've harvested little, he says. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. He who earns wages, does so to put it in a purse that has holes in it. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. The heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. A drought came on the land, and on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So why did God thwart their efforts to prosper? He tells us in verse 9 through 11, Because of my house which lies in ruins. 
while each of you busies himself with his own house. This is why the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth its produce. This is why I've called for a drought on the hill and the, the land and the grain and so forth. When you bring home the fruit of your labors, I blow it away. So, what does all this have to do with us now, 2,500 years later? There is no temple lying in ruins that needs to be rebuilt. You know, there have been many prophets and prophetesses whom God has sent to communicate to man his will, his messages, many more than aren't even named in the Bible. The Bible itself says this. And even the prophets who are named in the Bible, we clearly don't have all of their prophecies in Scripture. There are quite a few prophets in the Bible who are named, but we're not told one thing that they ever prophesied. Why would God allow so much prophecy be lost to us, to God's people? Why aren't those prophecies in the Bible? Well, it seems like a lot of prophecy was needed for specific people, for specific groups at a given time, but they weren't needed for all God's people during the whole span of God's dealings with mankind. But God made sure that the prophecies of Haggai were preserved for all peoples and all time, just like everything else we find in the scriptures. Why? Well, obviously it's because he knew we needed them. Because they are relevant to us. Because they say things we need to hear. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 and 11. These things took place, referring to the great things in the Old Testament, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. These things are written down for our instruction. That's why they're here. What if there is a temple today which is lying in ruins and needs to be built? What would it be? Well, it's certainly not a church building. In the New Testament, clearly, the church of Christ is his people. In fact, that is the answer to the question. It, it, the temple of God in the New Testament is the people of God. Living stones, as 1 Peter 2.5 refers to them, being built up as a spiritual house. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you? And one thing you can't tell in the English is that the times where the word you occurs in that verse is plural. It's not singular. This isn't saying there's another place in 1 Corinthians that says that each one of us is the temple of God. But this passage says that you all are the temple of God. 
The New Testament temple is the church that Christ is building. As he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet, can anyone dispute the fact that in many ways, Christ's church is in ruins today and needs desperately to be built or rebuilt? And this, I believe, is what Haggai calls us to do, to make our first priority. God's kingdom in our hearts, God's kingdom in our homes, God's kingdom in our church, God's kingdom in our community, God's kingdom among the nations of the world. He wants us to reach our children, our spouses, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, our work associates with the truth of Christ. He wants us to set our minds not on the ordinary everyday affairs of life but on the eternal kingdom. The things above, not the things that are below. Colossians 3.2 And largely Christ builds his church through his people, through us. And this can mean bringing people into his church, and it can also mean building up the people of his church. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body of Christ, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what's going on. We are the body of Christ and we're seeking to build one another up and build up the body by bringing in new people as well. And God gives gifts for this purpose as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, so that we might serve each other and build up one another. Now this brings us to the next section of Haggai, 12 to 15. This is still of chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. So they've heard the word of God from Haggai. That you, you know stop worrying about your own houses so much. And build the house of God. So it, this is their response. The people. Um, they heard the words of Haggai. That God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord. Spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you declares the Lord. It wasn't that long ago that he was saying, I'm against you. I'm thwarting everything you're doing. But now you've you've feared me. You've responded in fear. Now I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, 
on the 24th day of the month, in the 6th month, in the 2nd year of Darius the king. So they obeyed. They heard, they feared, and they obeyed. And as a result, the process, the building process restarted. And this time, instead of God working against them, he works with them and blesses their efforts. And in spite of further obstacles that arose, they completed the temple project within about four years of this and dedicated this new temple to the Lord around 516 B.C. But here we have to notice this call that God gave them to consider their ways. We see it in verse 5 and verse 7. To notice what's going on. Notice how you're working so hard and producing so little. You know, um, God calls us often to evaluate, to take a look at what's happening in our lives because we can be so blind to it. What is your life like? And in particular, you know, is it flourishing in the grace of God? Or does it seem like God's opposing you. Maybe you are doing something that is opposed to God. Maybe the way you're living isn't something that's, that's motivating God to help you, but actually to thwart you. Is it possible that God is opposing you in your life? Are you perhaps focused on your own earthly situation instead of on the spiritual welfare of your own heart? and your own family, and your own church, and the people around you? Now, all of us want God to work with us instead of against us. But in order for that to happen, we have to be willing to work with God and for God. You know, when Jesus said, seek first, he talks about the the flowers of the field, how God takes care of them and blesses them with beauty and everything. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, that's the point. If you seek his glory and seek his kingdom, he'll bless us. He, instead of working against us, whereas if you are just seeking to, to be the most beautiful person, outwardly, you can be. If that's your goal and priority, then God is likely going to work against you. Seek him, and he will bless you. That's the way it works. It's the principle of Haggai, the same principle Jesus talks about. Here's another few verses of Haggai, in case that you weren't getting enough of Haggai this morning. In uh, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple... How did you fare, God asks the people. When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. In other words, you expected that there would be 20 measures of something there for you, but there's only 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. It's like, what's happening to all of our stuff? It's disappearing. Do you ever feel like that with your finances? With your time, with your resources, 
I struck you, God says, and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. But now that the foundation of the Lord's temple is laid, from this day on, I will bless you. So now it's changed. They've heard the word of God and they're obeying it. God promises us that he will be with us and bless us. Now, somebody says, well, wait a minute. If he, you know, God promises he's going to bless his people and be with us and be for us. How can you say he's working against us sometimes? Well, sometimes God working against us is the very thing we need. So he is working for us when he's working against us. Because, think about this. If you have set your goal on something that is actually an idol, is it not loving for God to oppose you in your pursuit of that idol? Of course, that's exactly what we need. It's ultimately for us, for God to work against us in those kind of ways. But then he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37.4. You see, delight in the Lord, then he'll work for you. He'll give, you know, remember Solomon. He says, what do you want? Do you want riches or do you want wisdom? Well, Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God says, that's great. Then I'm going to give you both riches and wisdom. I'm going to work for your, your I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll take, make sure you prosper because what you longed for and sought after was what you ought to seek after. Now, in this story of Haggai, there are three obstacles which we find that get in the way of building God's house. And uh, you know that I don't usually come up with three things that all start with the same letter, like a lot of pastors do every single week. I tried a few times, but they just, uh, it's just so much time is needed just to try to come up with three words, and so I don't do that. But today they happen to all be the same letter. So every once in a while, even a blind squirrel finds an acorn. So three obstacles here in Haggai which get in the way of building God's house. One is the difficulty of it. Two is the distractions. And third is the disappointment. So let's talk about these three. The difficulty. All of us know what it's like to start a project with enthusiasm and then to find out that this is a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Mike was just sharing a story this morning with us about experiencing that this very week. And so we suspend the project. Maybe we fully intend to get back to it soon, but sometimes it sits there for a long, long time, begun but never finished. And eventually we just say, this isn't the time to do this project. But 
Sometimes the most difficult things in life are the most important to do. And they require long and continuous attention. And if we're not willing to keep after something, it will never get done. And laboring for the kingdom of God, I can tell you, after almost you know, 40 years of ministry here and, and uh, even more before that, elsewhere, laboring for the kingdom of God is sometimes the hardest and most discouraging thing you can work on. It's so easy to just get used to things being the way they are and just be willing to maintain them instead of pursuing and fighting to bring things to be where they ought to be. Today there are so many Christians who have given up on the church. They tried. They gave years of their lives, but they grow too discouraged to keep trying to fix things and too weary to keep putting forth the effort. But this is wrong, just like it was here. It's just like the Jews who said, now is not the time to rebuild God's house. They grew weary of well-doing, as Galatians 6.9 tells us. God calls his children to live lives of service to one another. To be just concerned about our own earthly lives is a blatant and intolerable contradiction of the gospel. Hebrews 10.24 tells us, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Think about the work that Jesus did to build his kingdom. Think in particular about the day that he cleansed the temple and overturned the tables and used a whip to drive out the money changers. Remember when the disciples saw him? They remembered a verse from the Old Testament in Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal for your house will consume me. That's the way Jesus was. Zeal for God's house consumed him. And I believe that we're told that because God wants zeal for his house to consume all of us. Isaiah articulated this well in chapter 62 verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. So that's talking about the difficulty. But now the distraction, which also gets in the way of building God's kingdom. There's so many things in our lives to distract us, so many legitimate needs that can distract us from more important things. You know, wherever you go in the world, you know, it's, typically Americans have these ideas that 
that people who live in this country are all religious zealots or all uh, political militants or something, but no matter where you go in the world, most people are just trying to earn a living and take care of their families. And, you know, that's certainly, that has a good side to it. However, that's not what we're really supposed to be doing, is it? God has called his people to do more than just survive. He's called us to love him and love our neighbors. He's called us to seek first his kingdom. He's called us to be fishers of men. He's called us to make disciples of every nation. Haggai told the people they had mixed up priorities. They were so busy with their own houses that they had no time for God's house. And that's the same thing that so many Christians struggle with. Jesus talked about this when he, in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, in the, where the seed falls among the thorny plants that grow up and suffocate the life out of the plant. He says, the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And that's exactly what happens, and that's what was going on them in their day. But the good seed, of course, bears much fruit. It multiplies. We can't just say, as long as things are comfortable in my little life over here in this corner, I can be content. We're content with too little if we say that. What do we put as our first priority? Our own physical comfort? or the eternal welfare of people. Our first priority must be to build God's house. And now the third and final obstacle that gets in the way of building God's house, disappointment. Now this actually comes from the third passage from Haggai that uh, is in our reading this morning. Haggai 2, 1 to 9. In the seventh month, in the 21st day, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. So this is after the other things that had happened. And this is a new word from God. Speak now to Zerubbabel, God says to Haggai, and to Joshua the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? In other words, some of the people who had returned were so old that they actually had lived in Jerusalem before Nebuchadnezzar came and and destroyed it. They remembered as children what the glorious temple of Solomon looked like. So God's addressing them. He says, who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? In other words, they're watching this house get built. And even as the young people are so enthusiastic and cheerful about making progress on this project, these old people are saying, man, this is just not going to be anything like it was before. This is pathetic. It looks like nothing compared to the old temple. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So now he has a message for those old people. Isn't it great, old people, that God 
that God remembers old people. He's thinking about them, not just the young, energetic people. He's also thinking of them. Here's what his word is to them. Yet now be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house that you're building with glory. Says the Lord of hosts, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. In other words, all the silver in the world is mine. All the gold is mine. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this place, I will give peace. I will give shalom, declares the Lord. So you see, he encourages the people not only to, you know, just bite the bullet and continue to obey and do the work, but he encourages them by giving them a vision of a temple that outshines the temple of Solomon by more than the temple of Solomon outshined the temple of Zerubbabel that they're building. There's a day coming, he says, when I will shake the heavens, when I will shake the earth, I will shake all the nations and all the treasures of the earth will be brought into the temple and used to make the temple glorious. So that the glory of the house that as it will be at some point in the future will far outshine the glory of any of the little manifestations of God's house during these days of our lives on earth. Boy, how relevant is this? All of us, probably many of us have experienced ourselves, oh, you know, this church just isn't the way it used to be. Or this church just isn't the way that the church I grew up in is. Oh, if we could just find a church that was, that was like that church, we could be happy. You know, that, that I understand that. But the fact is, what we're working for isn't ultimately a church that's here. We are laboring and planting seeds because one day what Christ is doing, the church that Christ is building will be manifested in all of its glory. And all the treasures of the world will be brought to beautify it. And that will be the day when we will say, aha, this is the fruit of the seeds that we planted all these years. This is what we were working for. 
Well, don't be discouraged that things aren't the way that you'd like them to be. Don't be discouraged that things... Uh, don't be discouraged about the day of small things. For seeds that are small grow up into be mighty trees. And God is paying attention and he works. And so one day, he tells us, for instance... In Galatians 6, 9, one day, if we are faithful and do not give up, we will reap glorious fruit from our sowing. You know, the same time that all this was going on in Israel, day of Haggai, Psalm was written. Psalm 126. And I wish we could go through it because in light of this situation, it's amazing. You go home and read it. But it addresses the same situation that Haggai is addressing. Listen to verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. That's what we're doing right now. We're sowing with tears. You know, just like the old people were building the temple in tears. Don't be afraid. The day is coming when you will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, carrying the sack of seed on your back, and you're weeping as you go, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Look at what happened. Look at what came from all the seeds that we sowed. So churches experience times of advance, and they experience reversals. But our enthusiasm for God's kingdom and our zeal for his people and their welfare shouldn't be dampened when there's a lull in terms of growth and activity. But you know, where all of this starts, it's not just true about being involved in the lives of other believers, using our gifts to build them up. It all begins in our own hearts. For some people, many Christians, the project which has most obviously been abandoned and lay, lies in ruins is their own souls. It's so easy to neglect our own souls because no one notices. If you neglected your yard or your house, the neighbors would complain and see it. You can neglect your soul and put on an act and everybody think you're fine. And yet, the Lord knows. He sees the disorder. He sees the neglect It's not enough Just, oh yeah, I'll get to that eventually when I finish these other things. Now that's the place to begin. If you start anywhere from today's sermon, start there. Start with your own soul. Start by allowing the scriptures to be your food. Not for preparation for a sermon or a Sunday school class or even to teach your kids for your own soul. 
Christ wants to build his kingdom. He wants to build it through us. But before he does that, he wants to fill us so that we are faithful tools and vessels that are useful for him instead of just doing our own thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word through Haggai. And we pray that you would allow these uh, things to sink deep in us and that you would use them as we head into this new year to realign our priorities. And we ask, O oh Lord, for your forgiveness as well. For there's not one of us, O oh Lord, I'm guessing, who could look back over the last year and say, I was really faithful to my own soul and to allow Christ to help me grow and to seek first his kingdom. Help us, O Lord, for we are weak. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.